Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John and my good friend Joe Doman here Hi. with you. Welcome back. So what are we talking about today? Last time we recorded together, we, we didn't even get to the topics. We just talked for about Mumford for and this, 20 minutes. Should we reveal this was the topic that was going to be... On the last one. This was. This is the, the hidden secret topic. And we're still in the cave, uh, in kind of our new location. So we, uh, you know, we, we rotate where we record these based on our kind of crazy schedules. Mm-hmm. But it works out where we can do with these uh, uh, here down in Denver. Yes. But Joe's room is a very strange uh, room. He's got his closet behind him, but it's not even a closet. It's just this kind of rack. It's with, a clothes rack. Uh, stuff on it. And stuff on it. We have a septic pipe running across, running the, across uh, the ceiling. Great work. It's awesome. Great photo of uh, Newman, Tolkien, and Chester on the wall, which I think I put there. I know. A I long just, time ago. I have nothing to replace it with. So it's a great room. Some Maybe we'll put a picture of it on the website, but probably not. Yeah, we'll probably yeah. forget to do yeah, that. Yeah, we probably, I don't even want to do that really. So Yeah, well, I got a shout out before we start. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Laura Gifford. Laura. Laura brought Maker's Mark to my rectory. She's friends with Father Peter. She's a spiritual director of Father Brian, you know, that British priest. That's right. And uh, she is a, uh, she's been passing on the, the uh, podcast to other people, including Matt McCartney, who's a friend and parishioner. Isn't he the uh, coach of the Packers? Uh, he's not. Okay. That's a different guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> this guy has uh, four little girls who are very cute and very well behaved in the front row at my parish. So Nice. Yep. To feed your addictions. That's great. I'm glad you have Maker's Mark. Oh, it, I was like, okay, thank you. Maker's yeah, Mark. Yeah, right? Yeah, so thank you, Laura, for the Makers. It's a long time coming, but uh, yeah, we're grateful for it. Hey, that's awesome. But not this morning. This morning, it's all suffering and pain. It's all suffering and coffee without cream. Coffee without cream, as we talk about. The true cross. The true cross. This is why we're here. The cross. That's right. I uh, I wanted to do this topic because, well, the Feast of the True Cross, Exaltation of the True Cross, was not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, at least when I initially had this idea. But... um. Cool little story. Um, my parish, uh, where I'm assigned in the seminary, Immaculate Heart of Mary, North Glen, with <laughs> Father Brian Larkin, we're at the same parish together. It's great. Um, but I don't know if you knew this, John, Father John, but we have a relic of the True Cross that was recently given to the church. Briefly. Yeah, there was a there was a couple, an old couple, um, who I think were fallen away Catholics. This is at least how it was related to me by the pastor. Uh, they were fallen away Catholics, and they were... Like clean, they were moving out of their house they'd been living in for years, and uh, they um, were cleaning out their attic, or whatever. And they found this relic, and they didn't know what it was. Uh, or they, well, I think they knew what it was, but um, they didn't really care much because when they were a young, young couple, um, when they first got married, some priest gave it to them as a gift, and they had kind of fallen away from the faith. And they were like, had been married for like sixty years or whatever, so this kind of just sat in their attic for years, and. Now they're like, hey, we don't have any use for this, but there's a Catholic church nearby. Maybe they could, you know, do something with it. So it ends up being a relic of the True Cross from like the 1600s. Like the reliquary is like absolutely. Oh, it's a full gorgeous. reliquary and everything. And the the reliquary is beautiful. I've never oh, seen man. a reliquary like it. It's absolutely beautiful. Do you want to tell me what a reliquary is? Oh yeah, a reliquary. Uh, it's just a little decorative container to put it pretty banally uh, for a relic. Something that it can show the relic. It looks nice. Um, so usually they're a little. I have one right there because I have a little relic of St. John of the Cross. Or, no, St. John the Evangelist. Uh, but it's just like a little gold thing, probably about the size of a tea lamp, a tea candle, which is right which next to it. Right next. <laughs> exactly. How did you come up with that? I know, right? Um, but this one was beautiful. It was uh, 
maybe about like 10 inches high and it looked like a little baby monstrance but it was just beautiful metal work it's awesome anyway uh so our pastor's really excited he had this big uh on a saturday just invited a bunch of people in the parish and had kind of a i don't know enshrinement of the true cross relic nice. at our church and on sunday we processed into it with, with the with the actual you know crucifix that we use for mass we processed it with the true cross so that was kind of cool so i was like anyway the true cross is cool and we had we i was talking to people after mass about it and a lot of people didn't know much about the true cross or they were like what is it where is it yeah, because what, is if you look real? at it if you look at the relic it's just like where is it you just like see this little white circle and you're like well mm-hmm. is that it what is it in the white circle there's like two little slivers of wood and I had explained, and they were like shaped in a cross, you know, two slivers cross like a plus sign, you know. And uh, that was the relic. And there's paperwork and documentation from the Vatican. Uh, with the, the Vatican's pretty, um, pretty strict about the authenticity of relics. And so, for a relic to get approved as authentic, there's like this whole process, which I, I don't have time to go into now. But right. um, but the, the, having the documentation makes it. Uh, pretty pretty certain. There, there's incredible. a few, yeah. There, there's there's a few things that they know of where like there's th- this particular thing was falsified, but they know how to find that. If you have the documentation, you have somebody who knows how to look at it. They can be like, no, this is legit. So anyway, that was kind of cool. So and on the feast of the True Cross, our buddy Mason, who lives with us, he's mm-hmm. a seminary with our in our house. Right. He brought down a relic of the True Cross he had that I didn't know, and it was given to him by an old guy who died passed away a couple years ago. It was left in his will. He left two things in his will: one thing to somebody else, and then this. Relic of the True Cross to Mason. To Mason. Yeah, isn't that Crazy. really cool? And it was given to him when he was a, a child by wow. another couple. So anyway, lots of True Cross relics floating around. So I figured it would be a cool thing to talk about the True Cross. So what is the True Cross? Obviously, if you haven't picked this up already, it's the actual cross, the piece of wood that our Lord was crucified on uh, at the end of his life, uh, before, at the end of his life, the beginning of our salvation. Right. Um, and we know that Christians adored and venerated this cross in the early church after it happened i mean some people might be like well why do we even have relics why do we do we like worship this thing what do we do with it you know how do you we say venerate it is that like the same do we venerate it like we venerate god like how does that work um but we do know that christians have been venerating it from the very early church because we have church fathers like tertullian and a few other guys who actually are defending their apologists so they're defending the church against people accusing the church of stuff mm-hmm and one of the accusations that they uh, defend themselves against and the church against is venerating the cross. Like, no, we're not worshiping the cross, but it's because of the cross, uh, what what our Savior did on the cross, that we venerate the cross, and by venerating the cross, we do uh, give honor to Christ. And that's already there in the early centuries the, of the church. In the early centuries of the church. Bam. Now, something happened uh, a couple centuries uh, after, uh, after Christ that the emperor, Roman emperor Hadrian came into power and he was one of the big persecutors of Christianity. And Hadrian's whole thing was like, the empire was falling apart and the greatest way to unite the Roman empire was to make sure we're all worshiping the same religion because religion was very tied up with the culture. And if we all have the same culture, then we're all kind of on the same board. So when he saw the empire starting to be fragmented, he said, we need to get one religion back here again. And so what, what that meant was persecuting all the other religions. And so Christianity was, they had, Christians have been venerating you know, uh, the Holy Sepulchre, the tomb of Christ, uh, Calvary where Christ died, and different holy places in Jerusalem. Um, but Hadrian took over, and he wouldn't just, you know, destroy whatever the Christians had done. He would destroy it and then build a pagan temple on top of it. Right. That was kind of their way right. to kind of uh, supplant uh, other religions crop- propping up, you know. So he built a temple uh, on the site that is now 
uh, known to be the site of the Holy Sepulchre and Calvary and stuff. And so the true sites, you know, where the where, where the Holy Sepulchre was, where Calvary was, where the true cross was, was kind of lost because Christians had to flee Jerusalem. It was a big mess. Right. Um, and it wasn't until Constantine, which was in 3, uh, was it 312? Was it yeah, I um, Constantine, the fourth century, came into power and was became a Christian and kind of allowed for Christians to go back to the holy places in Jerusalem to venerate them and to find them. So the story goes, and this has been told by uh, a number of early church historians, Eusebius, a bunch of others. Uh, I mean, their stories differ to some degree, but there's a lot of common, common elements that make it, make it sound like, okay, something that, that real happened here. So the story is this, that Constantine's mother, who is Saint, Saint Helena... Helena Helena or Helen uh, wanted her. She taught us her mission to go back and recover these holy places and to build churches over them. So she went down. To, she tried to find Mount Sinai and she went to Jerusalem to fi- try to find where the True Cross was and to find the Holy Sepulchre and a number of different places. So she went to this temple where Hadrian was and they they did a lot of excavations there. And she is the one. Uh, while they were doing excavations, they found uh, three crosses. Deep and, and if you get if you go to Jerusalem now, I was there this summer or not this summer, two summers ago, and it was super. Have you been there before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what place I'm talking about? Yeah, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go down, down, down. Yeah, you go yeah. down, down, down. So there's this Church of the Holy Sepulchre is like the coolest thing in the world. It's there's unbelievable. Like all these wild passageways and Calvary's like up these stairs, kind of to the side, and the Holy Sepulchre is only less than like sixty yards away. It's really cool. Um, but there's one point where you just go down these steps and you can see. Uh, there's all these crosses uh, carved into the stonework from the uh, crusaders. crusaders. Yeah. So if you're if you've ever been there before, this is the place I'm talking about. You go down these steps where you see all these crosses carved in the wall, and there's this little uh, chapel there, Eastern Orthodox chapel. And then you keep going down from there, and there is a small little shrine to uh, dedicated to the place where Saint Helen found the true cross. And it's this beaut. It's like at the very. It's I don't it's, know how far below. Yeah. The rest of the church it is, but it's just down a bunch of stairs. And I got a chance to do a holier down there, which is really cool. It's just really dark and beautiful. There's a little statue of St. Helen with holding the true cross. And how the story goes, she found these three crosses, and they they um, presumed that this these one of these, these are the three crosses of Calvary. You know, where the two thieves and Christ was crucified. But they didn't know which cross was which, you know. So what they did was they had uh, a leper come, um, come, and they he would he would touch his the touch his sores to the cross to each cross to find out which one was the true one because they presume hey if the the true cross we're praying that god would reveal which one's the true cross by healing the leper and sure enough one of them he touches he's healed this is the true cross so they took this cross and they they there was all these venerations to it um all over the church i mean it was a renowned thing it was kind of a prized thing in constantine's world uh veneration of the true cross mm-hmm. you know and then uh, we so right now so what happened we have this cross we have a huge cross that we're venerating in the early church but now we don't really have a true cross anymore now we have all these like little splinters of the true cross all over the world and you know I you know Mason has one up in our chapel upstairs right. we have one in Immaculate Heart of Mary North Glen uh, at, at one point in the church's uh, history it was really common for every single parish to have a small relic of the true cross uh, this is centuries ago now I don't know if we have enough to cover every single parish but so what happened to the cross? Why is it all these little splinters? So what happened is in the 7th century, there were some Persians who attacked um, Jerusalem, overtook it, and stole the true cross, took it as a trophy. Uh, they took the cross as a trophy, and they the Persians had the cross for, like I think, like four centuries until the Crusaders took it back, uh, I think in the 1100s or 1000s. But when they took it back, what they did was they 
broke the cross. And there were already some relics of the true cross. Like, they had taken off some pieces to make his relics, you know. Uh, but what they did, they decided to break the true cross up into relics and to, and to kind of disperse it throughout the world. Um, so that it couldn't be. So that it could never be stolen again, never be taken again. That it would be in the possession of not just, like, one church, but it would be in possession of the entire church, uh, you know, manifested by these small local churches who have a small relic. So it's kind of a beautiful symbol yeah, nice. of, like, the church's unity. Uh to have like the parts of the cross be given to the entire church, so they kind of spread throughout the world, and so that's why that's why we all have these little slivers of For the, the cross. Last millennium, they've been kind of passing through. Exactly, they've been kind of passing through. So it's interesting. Um, but one of the uh, one of the things that you heard people say, and I think Luther had said this, and it's kind of been one of the cr- the rationalistic critiques, I guess, of the whole thing, because he was really critical of. The way Catholics used relics, uh, venerated relics, and he just saw a lot of just hypocrisy and kind of like stuff that distracted from the real gospel. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some truth in that. Right. Sometimes people were so kind of like, and you even see this today with some people. I'll see some guys who are so crazy about relics, you know, but they're not like, you know, they, they, they don't even like treat the Eucharist in the same right. way. Or something. Right. It's just crazy, you know, how some people can get about it. We have to have a proper understanding of relics and why we have them. And we've done podcasts on that before, mm-hmm. I think, with yeah. uh, did we do one on relics? I don't know. I feel like we've talked about something with relics before. I have no idea what we've done. Oh, Incorruptibles. Incorruptibles. That was the one we did. There you go. Um, anyway, so he was critical of that and uh, and how many relics of the true cross he felt like there were. And he there, one of the lines uh, that either he said or was attributed to him or maybe it was somebody else, but it was kind of a, a common saying that if you put all the parts of the true cross together, you would have way, way more than a true cross. In fact, it would be as big as a battleship. Uh, that, that's how that's how many and basically saying like there's so many fake pieces of the true cross right. probably that everybody has everybody must have part right. of the true cross you know everybody and their grandmother does you know mm-hmm. Mason Fairley has part of the true yeah, cross that guy know? that's so. crazy so it's like, interesting but there's a little study done um, by this guy named Rohalt de Fleury and you can find this there's an article on newadvent.newadvent.org I think I it think is so yeah uh, Catholic Encyclopedia where you can see a thing about the true cross and he cites this um, this study there but this um this study he does, he uh, I'll just read from the article because I thought it was so great. Um, but he says, this study by Ruholt de Fleury deserves more prolonged attention because he says, its author, so the guy who did the study, has sought out with great care and learning all the relics of the true cross. So he went up and found, you know, where are all the relics and how many how many do we have? And he draw, drawn up by a catalog of them. And thanks to his labor, he has succeeded in showing that in spite of what various Protestant or rationalistic authors have pretended, the fragments of the cross brought together again would not only be comparable in bulk to a battleship, but would not reach one-third that of a, of a cross, which is supposed to have been three or four meters in height with traverse branch of two meters. So he basically says this is how big the cross would have been. Right. So he says if we if the cross was this size, which is a really common size from what we know of archaeological studies and how the Romans crucified people, um, it would weigh a bit. It was presumably made of pine wood because that was the most common wood that they would use for these. It would be 75 kilograms. Um, we'd find that the volume of the cross would be about 178 million cubic millimeters. And he kind of put up, put together all the relics of the true cross that we know of in existence. And he said they only amount to 4 million cubic, cubic millimeters, which is one-third of what the true cross would have been. So, I mean, he just did a study just to show that, you know, that's kind of a bogus. I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a lot, but it's really... It's really not that much, but what we know of, of the true cross. So I just thought that was an interesting study to have. But um, 
Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, this is all this is the true, true cross. It's a cool thing that we have, and it's just beautiful. If you ever have a chance to check out um, a relic of the true cross, a lot of parishes have it. A lot of times they'll be in the altar, or sometimes in the uh, crucifix. So if you have a crucifix in your parish, or there's a cru- crucifix mounted on the wall, and there'll be a little circle in the bottom of it or something like that, a lot of times that circle is a relic of the true cross. Uh, so. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful symbol of our unity, and just the, and we 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 always go back and talk about this, but kind of the the nitty gritty uh, and the uh, sensible dimension of our faith that it's not just this abstract thing where we just have these ideas uh, and and all these things kind of happen in Bible land somewhere, but like no no Jesus he was he was a real man and he really was crucified on the cross. In fact, here's a piece of the cross and like the saints Saint Peter. He was real. Like, we have his bones in St. Peter's Basilica. St. John the Evangelist was a real man. He was a, a man in Galilee, and I have a piece of his bone in my room right now. It's just crazy. Right. But this isn't just, like, this is historical uh, and also transcends history. But that's why relics are important, because they remind us of that. And we honor God, and we honor what God did by re- honoring the cross itself, you know, so. And I think that last thing is just so important, that, like, this, that God works in existence in concrete historical ways and, and he transforms people and he transforms these things called the saints and so it is kind of creepy uh sometimes the way catholics kind of get into this stuff totally weird but but love it, it is fitting catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. on facebook catholic stuff podcast never on twitter we'll see you next week hopefully it's becoming a mantra hopefully see you